what do you think is the most important thing in your life? What do you think is the most important thing in your life? The Bible says, I don't know what you thought, the Bible says there is nothing more important than in knowing God. That is the most important thing. There's nothing more important than in knowing God. To know God and to have a living and active relationship not just knowing God, but to have a living and an active relationship with God is far, far superior than acquiring, you talk about gold, you talk about silver, you talk about education, houses, cars, promotions, achievements, awards, Ministry, money, marriage, children, and so on and on. In other words, the most important thing in our life is to have a living relationship with God. So now the question is, we will all agree because the Bible says, so I don't have to defend that statement because the Bible says that is the most important thing. It's not the pastor says. So now the question is, how do we grow in the knowledge of God? How do we know that we are growing in the knowledge of God? How do we know that we have this living, dynamic, active relationship with God? It's not difficult. You know, when we know we are growing in our spiritual life, when we are contented with materialism and discontented with our spiritual growth. This is what's meant by, as the deer panted for the water, so my soul longs after you. If you are contented with worldly things, your achievements, your education, your wealth, if you are contented with and discontented with, I want to know God. I want to know God more and more and more. When that hunger deepens in us, when the thirst becomes stronger, that means we are growing in our spiritual life. Every good thing in this world will try to dull our appetite for God. Every good thing. When we are contented with materialism and discontented with our spiritual growth. Material things, things of the world, I am happy, contented. Whether I have 500 or 5,000, I am contented. But I need more, more of God. I am never contented with my spiritual growth. God, you should increase, I should decrease. You have only two chapatis, I'm happy with that. I have five rupees, I'm happy with that. 
Christian economy is all about what you have. God will bless and feed 5,000. Not I need to have 5,000. So I'm contented with, with the things of this world and I'm discontented. I want to know God more. What is that one thing I want to have? I want to have God more, God more. That's how we know that we are growing in our spiritual life. You know, in fact, Paul prays for the Ephesians believers in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. This is his prayer. I keep asking, you know, this is for Christians, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Not to go and show, oh, see how gifted I am. See how strong I am. No, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is only for one thing. For what? So that you know him better. You know him better. You know, Paul's only desire for the believers in Ephesus was that they will know God better. And today, if Paul were to be here, he will say the same thing. I want all of you to know God better. Not that you will become successful, not you will achieve something, not you will make more money, not you will have extra houses, but you will know God better. That's what Paul will say. So how do we come to know this God better? God has revealed himself in the scriptures. You know, that's how we know God. God has revealed himself in the scripture, and it should be our endeavor to study, to learn, and to find out. God has revealed himself. You know, we should not sit and think, God, you will reveal yourself. That's not the way God reveals. God has already revealed himself in the scripture. And whenever we look at God as only a healer, are only a protector, are only a provider, are only a friend, are only a father. If, if we take only one facet of God and if we try to elevate it in favor of other facets, God is a healer, healer. We are having a God of our own imagination. We need to know this God fully, completely. He is too big. He is too big and glorious. So whenever we limit this God only to healing, you will run wherever healing ministry is there because that's all, you, that's all our exposure to God is. But we should know, you know, when they say, oh, God will give you money, more money, more wealth and all that, you know, then you will be, you will run wherever they say, come, come, God will bless you, God will bless you. Okay, so... Whenever we take one aspect and when we try to exalt it, it is not God of the Bible. We distort. We might, he is only God of our imagination, God of my liking. But we should come to the scripture and to understand who is this God. You know, so we should pray as we hear the message. Let this be our prayer. Holy Spirit, I want to know this God better. I want to know this God better. I want to know Jesus, the shepherd king, better. Let that be a prayer this morning. For today's meditation, I have chosen Isaiah chapter 40. And, you know, why Isaiah chapter 40? Isaiah chapter 40, 
most of us are familiar with this chapter, it portrays an all-sufficient God in Isaiah chapter 14. But what is more interesting is, if you have read Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, from chapter 1 to chapter 39, all that you see is judgment, condemnation. You know, God speaking against people, all judgment and condemnation. And when you come to chapter 40, all of a sudden, the tone changes. You know, it is like you keep beating your child. Why did you do this? I will punish you. I'll do And you keep hitting him. And all of a sudden, you are hugging him and giving him a kiss when you come to chapter 40. It is amazing if you read the entire book and if you see what's happening here. You know, this God who was speaking judgment and condemnation, all of a sudden, he's speaking words of comfort. You know, the very language changes. You know, when you beat your child, the tone, you know that, how you beat, how when you're angry, you know, how you, you speak, and all of a sudden you want to shower your love on the child, you know how you speak, that's the language. Up to 39, it's all, you know, fire and brimstone. And when you come to chapter 40, oh, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Shall we all rise to our feet for the scripture reading taken from the book of Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 to 11. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Your voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Your voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. 
Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is God's word. Kindly be seated. This passage is meant not to give you some special information about God. This passage is meant to transform our lives. This morning, if you're looking at, oh, I will get to know God more and more, you know, it's better to say that, God, let these words transform my life. I'm not here to get some extra knowledge, but I want the word of God to minister to me, change me, and transform me. Always remember, it is the word of God that the spirit of God takes to do the work of God. Sometimes people talk about, you know, I'm filled with the spirit. God told me this. And, you know, sometimes they act as super spiritual. But you find the words that they speak and what the word of God says will be different. Always remember, it is the word of God that the spirit of God takes to do the work of God. So it, it, I want to remind us how important it is for us to go back to the word of God and to study the word of God, to know the word of God. It is important. Uh, so we will just, uh, we will try to study this passage under three headings. The first one is the nature of God. The second one is Jesus the King. The third is Jesus, the shepherd king. You know, I, I was just thinking, I'll write the character of God, of course, the characteristics of God, the attributes of God, but I find this is nice, the nature of God. You know, what is he made of? The substance of God. What is the essence of God? And who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You know, the more we understand who is Jesus, I think our life will be fine. Jesus, the king. It is not important only to know Jesus, the king, but it is equally important to experience this Jesus as the shepherd king. Each one of us should have experienced this Jesus as the shepherd king. Okay, we'll go with the one, the nature of God. No, as I mentioned in the beginning, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, you know, if you read, you will understand what's happening here. You know, speak against Babylon, speak against this person, speak against this nation. It's full of judgment and condemnation. 
you know, and you know, let me read the last passage, last portion of Isaiah chapter 39. Just I will read that Isaiah 39, 5 to 7. Listen to this. Then Isaiah said to Ezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. How do you like these words? You know, if these words were to come to me, you know, I'm going to loot you. I'm going to make you bankrupt. I will destroy your descendants forever and ever. These are the words. These are the words that's there. And immediately after this, of course it happened. We all know the exile story and all it happened. That's altogether a different sermon. Now, immediately after this, what do you expect? We come to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 and 2. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. You know, anyone reading this book is bewildered, puzzled, confused. You know, just not only you, we read what's going to happen to Ezekiah, all that has been stored in the palace, and all of a sudden, comfort, comfort my people. It's the almighty God himself who is saying, comfort, comfort my people. We need to understand, as Christians, the first thing God did in our life is, comfort. He took the first step. If you have been saved, if you know this God, it is God who spoke that word in our life. Sometimes people think this God is, you know, he is only interested in punishing people. You know, you just disobey, he will knock you down. He is only there to punish us to send us to jail. That's how sometimes we think our God is. And sometimes we people think, ah, I'm a good person. I'm not so bad that I should be sent to a jail. After all, I read the Bible, I say prayer, I go to church every day. Every Sunday I go to church. And in some denominations, they go to church every day. So I am a good people. No, 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 no. We are all lost people. And the first step was taken by God. And he said, comfort, comfort my people. Your salvation, if you know God, you need to realize it is God who took that first step. Comfort, comfort. Because we were all, we deserve punishment. What we read in Isaiah chapter 39, 5 to 7 is applicable to me. For the wages of sin is? Why do we think only Israelites, they deserve not us? For the wages of sin is death. And then, after that what I deserve, this God is saying, comfort. Comfort, my people. 
He takes the first step. It's not even us. The salvation belongs to our God. And that is why it is so precious. Remember, nobody is born as a Christian. Are you shocked? Are you surprised? You could be born in a Christian family, but you are not born as a Christian. Think about it. Think about it. You could be born to your Christian parents. Of course, for the government records and all, you may call yourself as a Christian. Biblically, you are a Christian only when you are born again. Go, take the Bible, read. You know, if you read John, uh, if you go to the Gospel of John, and uh, we all know what happened when Nicodemus, the religious leader who came and said, I know the Bible. I know. I am the one who is teaching them. I am the one who is teaching all of them. And what did Jesus say? Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Unless they are born again. This morning, if God is ministering to you, do not harden your hearts. Receive him. Accept him. This morning, if you have been thinking, I am a good person, you know, remember, you know, goodness will not save us. We were all lost. What we read in Isaiah chapter 39, 5 to 7 is applicable to us. And this morning, if God is telling you, comfort, comfort my people. If there is little interest in you, I want to know this God better. Open your hearts. Accept him. Do not harden your heart. Who are these people that we read in Isaiah chapter 39? These are the very people who rebelled against God. They rebelled against God. They were in warfare against God. What do we do before salvation? We are at war with God. We are fighting God. We are doing that. We might not realize. But before salvation, this is what we have been doing. Fighting God. And that's why we should know this God as our king. So that we are able to serve him. By birth, we are always in a state of warfare. If you observe a little children growing up, you will realize how he tries to exert his authority. His, you know, mm, I need this. That's, that's, our, that's, our, that's the way we have been born. We are at war with God, and this God says, comfort, comfort. Why life is so difficult? Why life is so difficult? Why there are so many problems? We all know life is not supposed to be like this. Our relationships are breaking. Our jobs are, there's no happiness, no satisfaction. You know, we, our children are failing. I try my best, but my health is failing. Why? Why? We all realize life is not supposed to be like this. Something has gone wrong in this life. There is no peace. There is no joy. There is no happiness. You know, I try to have joy, but this fellow came and said something. You know, why is our life like that? We are frustrated. And I hear sometimes people say, I'm depressed. Sometimes people say, my friend is depressed. You know, life, you hear, you can see that people are saying, Pastor, I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I want to end my life. Why? 
we want we are expecting that life should be better but it's not better that's why we are discouraged we feel that my life is not supposed to be like this my spouse is not supposed to be like this but we are frustrated life is not supposed to be like that that's the reason every time you hear a politician he says you vote for me i will make your life better have you ever seen that he is not going to fulfill that he is not capable of doing that also but every time you hear a politician he is speaking to your need he is telling you vote for me i will make your life better i'll make your road so smooth there won't be even a small pothole that's the promise he will make is it not that's that's what's happening and every time they fight a war they say this is going to be the last war if you study history you will understand after the you know the united nations was established we have fought more wars you go and study the history you will be why was un was established in the first place to bring peace to this world and if you read the history we have fought more wars in 20 you know in the 20th and 21st century than in all the previous centuries put together we have fought more wars and terrible wars right now a war is going on why why you know we all are looking for some kind of a healing we all are in pain we experience that we feel this world should be healed that's why jeremiah said in verse 815 he said we hoped for peace but no good has come for a time of healing but there is only terror we all realize there should be some kind of healing i need healing my friend needs healing my family needs healing the people outside they need healing why is this world like this the world is like this because of sin we don't like to use that word but that is the reality because of sin you know the world in the world that was created it was not like this when god created the world he created a beautiful garden you you find there all kinds of trees animals man living with animals in safety no threat no violence no abuse no envy no jealousy that's the way the world was created what have we made it is like the builders in this place they are going down and down and down to take water and you know what's happening they are making this land into a desert bangalore was supposed to be a beautiful garden city and now the builders are trying to exploit they go down 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 and they don't find water they go deep and what they are making they are making it a desert why because of their greed that is sin that's what we are made why are we struggling because of sin that's the reason i said the most important thing in our life is to know god because money cannot give us peace you know you will be shocked to know that it is in rich people's home husband and wife fight more than in a poor man's home 
If you want to do your statistics, go and do. It is where people have enough wealth, husband and wife are fighting. Divorce rate is on the rise. They in the laborers, both husband and wife, they are laborers. You know, it's not happening. So money cannot solve the problem. Your education cannot s solve the problem. Just because they're B-Tech and M-Tech, don't think you can manage your life better with education. No way, no way. No way. Statistics doesn't prove that you are because you are studied, you are a better person. No. Because we are sinful. We are sinful. Our culture cannot change us. It can only make us worse. God knows our condition. He knows our condition. Why these people are being sent as exiles? Because of their sin. And then, to those people he says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. What a beautiful verse. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. You know, we, when, when, our when a child does something wrong, we give instructions. Don't do this. Don't, do, don't repeat this. This should be the last time. God says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. They are being exiled because of their sinful condition. But speak tenderly. Because God knows our heart condition. You know, when you are broken, you don't need instructions. When you are helpless, you don't need instructions. You need a tender voice, and that's the voice of God. Comfort, comfort my people. Comfort. You don't need five steps to set right your life. You don't need, you know, ten steps to make, to become successful. When life is broken, all that you need is a tender voice, and that God says, speak to them tenderly. He knows our heart. Let me assure you in this world your spouse may not understand your heart. Your child may not understand your heart. Sometimes you yourself may not understand your heart but God understands your heart. Allow him to speak into your heart and the words that you will hear is comfort. Comfort. Speak tenderly. Speak tenderly. He will whisper into our heart. Why? Because God is a God of love. He's a God of love. God is love. Bible says God is love. You know, in the, in the whole of the Bible, there are only four statements like this. God is love. God is light. God is spirit. God is a consuming fire. You find only four statements in the whole of the Bible. And one of the statements is God is love. He's love. Full of love. He knows you. He knows you. He speaks to our hearts at the point of our need. Will you open your heart to him today? 
God is our only comfort in life and death. Please make a note of this. God is our only comfort in life and death. Wherever else you go for comfort, it may be a momentary comfort, temporary com comfort, but it can never be a permanent comfort. God is our only comfort in life and death. The nature of God. I hope now we are clear about our God, the nature of God. You know, when God forgives, you know, have you understood your salvation rightly? Sometimes we, you know, we consider as forgiveness of sins. I owe this person 50 rupees. Now he has said, okay, you don't have to return. You know, that's the way we understand our salvation. Salvation is something extraordinary in our life. It is so precious. Let me put it like this. Okay? I am a murderer. Okay, I go. So murderer, so I face death sentence. And um, of course God is a forgiving God. So what does that forgiveness mean? God says I have forgiven your sins. Okay, I come out. Okay, you all are good people. Okay? You all are good people. So you will say, oh yes, he has been forgiven. Fine? I go to Pastor Prem, he has a beautiful da daughter. Okay, Pastor, is Pastor, no? Forgiveness. Pastor, will you give your daughter to me? Do you realize? Do you realize what forgiveness is? You know, you are forgiven, I have been forgiven. Is it clear? I am a murderer, I have been forgiven. He has a beautiful daughter, I ask, Pastor, will you give your daughter? He's thinking. He has no daughter, already he's thinking. So you can imagine those who have daughters, what will be their reply? What, what has happened? You have forgiven me, but you have not accepted me. You know what is forgiveness? When you go and stand before God, he says, come have my daughter. You know, that is salvation. Do you understand your salvation? That is salvation. It is not forgiveness. It is acceptance. God, when I stand before God, he's seeing Jesus. The life I'm supposed to live, who has lived? Jesus. So when God has forgiven, he says, come, have my daughter. That is forgiveness. That is salvation. Have you realized that salvation, it is important for you. It is not important, I have accepted Jesus. That's not enough. It should become experiential in your life. This is what Jesus has done for you. Not only forgiveness, you have been accepted as a child of God. Jesus, the king. You know, uh, all of a sudden there's police constable comes and the traffic is stopped. What do you make out? He says, now you cannot go. The road is being cleared. Immediately you realize what? Some big people is coming. Okay? And the roads are being repaired. A week ahead, roads are being relayed. You know, some flower pots are being brought. That means a big minister is coming. 
entire stretch of road is being rebuilt, you realize it's too big. Somebody is coming from Delhi. So whenever a dignitary comes, you prepare the road. You know, if I were to tell you what all happens when a prime minister visits, you will be shocked. You know, that's what happens. So much of preparation takes place. So in the, in the ancient world, when a king had to travel from one place to another place, he will send people in advance and they'll go and prepare the road because they used to ride in chariots, so the road will be bumpy, you know, there is no car, so they have to make it even, so there's no, you know, the journey will be smooth. They will prepare new roads because it's king. Many people will be involved. You know in this country what happened when Donald Trump came, what all they did. So it's like that, okay. Now, all of a sudden, God is telling prophet Isaiah, I want a special road. I want a unique road. I want something extraordinary. Because I am going to send somebody, a special person, who has never, you have not even seen. He is so high. He is going to visit your place. So now you have to prepare the road. Isaiah, God is telling the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah is breaking his head. What, what will he say? If you were asked, I am going to send a big person, high person, an exalted person. You have to prepare the road. So you give instructions to the people. What will be the instructions? That's what we find in Isaiah 43 to 5. Your voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We all know this, this refers to whom? Jesus Christ. Because in all the four Gospels, you find this. So it refers to Jesus. Now, why wilderness? Why wilderness? In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Because God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and because of sin, they made their life a desert. God didn't create this world like this. Like I said, it's a garden city. The way they exploit, they're making it into a desert. So because of our sinful condition, we turn because of our envy, jealousy, greed, lust, all this, we have made this into a wilderness. So the world has become a desert. So the one who comes, he will come in that condition. Our life is like as though we are in a desert. Everything has failed, finances have failed, jobs have failed, children have failed, marriages have failed, everything has failed. So the one who comes in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
it's a huge, huge, you know, road building project in wilderness. Can you see this? It's a huge road building project in wilderness. What will happen? Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill. You see, when the king used to come, they used to make a small road in between the hill, in between the mountains. But when this person comes, the mountain itself will be brought low because he's such a high dignitary. You know, if just a counselor comes, no one cares. If a minister comes, maybe they'll try to do a little bit of modification. If a prime minister comes, they won't hesitate to destroy a building and to make a road. So here comes a king. The mountain itself will be made low. Have you realized who is this? When we talk about Jesus, what is your view of Jesus? I hope we are able to see this passage better because we read this in the gospel and we, oh, it has been told in Isaiah, so it has been, you know, it's a foretelling about the coming of Jesus, of course. But can you see the way Isaiah is projecting? For none of the kings in those days, such a road was built. For none of the kings, however powerful, the mountains were not made low. What does it show? This king is superior to all other kings. That's why the mountain is being made low. Not only that, you know, you read the verse, you read verse 5, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it. All people. All people of the world, if all people of the world can see him, so this person has to come from outside the world, outside of the world. That's the reason all can see. Now you understand the significance of Christmas? It is not a small babe. He is a person who has come down from heaven. That's the reason God says, Make a special road. I'm going to send my begotten son from heaven. He will come to this earth. So make, take this huge road building project. Let the world know who is coming. He is king. Is Jesus king of your life? Is Jesus king of your life? The good news is he is not only a mighty king, but he is also a good shepherd. That is the good news. He is not only a mighty king, but also a good shepherd. What does it mean to us? Will you invite this king into your heart this morning? Will you say, I want to know this king a little more? Will you say, God, you be enthroned, Jesus be enthroned in my heart this morning? He is the shepherd king. Sometimes people want to say, that, you know, this God is like this, that God is, you know, he is a punishing God and all. If you want to know who our God is, just look at our son, his son, and you'll know who God is. 
You know, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 to 11. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. What does verse 10 say? See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. This God is a mighty king. He has infinite power. Just because God is good, we should not see him as though he's helpless. He is mighty in power. Why he has to be mighty? Because we have made this world into a desert. We want to do good, but yet we, start, we end up doing bad because there is a force which is so strong. You know, have you seen people who are addicted? They want to give up drinking, but they are unable to do it because the force has so much of control over their life. You know, if you see the criminal's records, it is the same person who keeps committing that crime again and again and again. First time a crime takes place in a village, the first thing the police will try to do is round off all those who have been arrested earlier. And most of the time it will be true. They are unable. It's not that they like it. They know they'll be beaten, they'll be thrashed, they have to sit in jail. But there is something stronger force which is operating against us. There is devil who wants to destroy our life. And this God has to be more powerful than him. So he's a mighty God. He comes with power. And he has, Jesus has conquered the devil. Of course, we don't doubt that. Not only the devil, he has also conquered death and the grave. That's the reason we can call God as Abba, Father. Now come to verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. You know, this God is so powerful, but when he comes to you, how does he come to you? He comes to you like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. Arms is basically showing God's strength. He comes with the strength. Remember, if this God is for you, who can be against you? Amen? He is your God. If this is your God, and if you are the lamp in his hand, imagine your security. Should you sit and worry, be anxious, oh, my life, everything is gone, because he gathers the lambs in his arms. He is so patient. God is so patient with us because he's a shepherd. You know, his voice is so gentle. So gentle, so kind, so tender. He is our God. He is our Jesus, the shepherd king. You know, God is infinite in power and infinite in love. If your God is only infinite in love, it doesn't help us. If your God is only infinite 
in power, it's like electricity. The more the voltage, just touch, gone. But God is both infinite in power as well as infinite in love. He's, that is our God who is infinite in power and in love. And just can you go to the previous slide? And you see something interesting? See, his reward is with him. When Jesus came to this world, the Bible says he carried his reward with him. This reward is not for you know, the good deeds we did so we'll reward us. No, his reward is with him. This God wants heavens and earth, billions of stars, billions of galaxies. What can you give to this God as a reward? What is the reward that he's carrying? You know what was his reward? His reward was you. He came to this world and you are his reward. You are his reward. When he holds you, you know, he holds you and he says, you are my reward. His reward is with him. We are his reward. He went to the cross because he knew the reward he's going to get. His reward was so precious for him. In other words, you were so precious to him, he went to the cross. You know, people, they when they are participating in an exam or in an athletic competition, they do so much of practice only for that first medal. I have to get that medal. The medal is so precious. So they endure all the practice, hard work, everything. Jesus went to the cross because you were his medal. You were his medal. Do you doubt this Jesus? If he went to the cross, do you doubt him? Will you tell yourself, I belong not to myself, but to my faithful Savior Jesus. I belong not to myself, but to my faithful Savior Jesus. Let me end this verse sermon. How do we respond to this shepherd king? How do we respond to this shepherd king? The answer is in the last verse in the chapter. Many of us know by heart. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run up, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We know this verse. You know, we enjoy quoting this verse. Those who wait on the Lord. What does wait mean? The first thing is, if you know your Jesus a shepherd king, the first thing we need to do is wait. Now wait, the moment we read it in the English Bible, wait, it's like we are waiting for the train, half an hour late, one hour late, we are waiting for the train. It is not a passive waiting. You know, those who wait on the Lord, well, what are you doing? I'm waiting on the Lord. No, 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 the Bible doesn't say that kind of waiting. 
Waiting is all about an active thing. Waity, wait, let me put it like this. Wait involves three things. If you are really waiting on the Lord, how do you know you are waiting on the Lord? If you have these three things in your life, you are waiting on the Lord. The first thing is obey. Do you obey God? If you obey God so that I will not go to hell, I will not go to that fire. If you obey God because you will not go to hell, you are making use of God. Do you, do you understand that? I'm obeying God so that I will not go to? That is not obedience. That is you are making use of God. You obey God because of who he is and what he has done. The shepherd king. You are his reward. You obey him because I am his reward. I would not like to displease my God who gave his life for me. You know the reason motivation for obedience? Motivation for obedience is not even for getting something good, but because I am his reward. I am, I am the apple of his eye. So that is the motivation for obedience. That shows our relationship. You know, that is the best relationship. In your relationship, you do something because you are expecting something in return. It's not a relationship. A relationship that gives sacrificially, that is the best relationship. That's why the Bible says, the son of, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for men. Anytime there is sacrifice in your relationship, it's beautiful. Have you noticed? Anytime, in any relationship, if there is an element of sacrifice, that is beautiful. So obedience comes because of your relationship with God. Second thing is, you know that you are waiting on God when you learn to relax. Relax. Do you have the courage to say, let your will be done in my life? Till you learn to say that prayer, you will always be trying to control, have authority over your life. Lord, let your will be done. I don't understand. It is not nice. It is painful. It is disappointing. It is discouraging. But let your will be done. Let your will be done. The moment you're overly anxious and worried, that shows you're not waiting on the Lord. That shows that we don't even know Jesus as our shepherd king. If you say your Jesus is so big a king and you are his child and then you sit and worry, that shows it's all okay to tell with the statements. Mentally we can say, but heart of heart, he has not become our king. Are you ready for your life's history to be written by God? You know, you go outside, the world will say, you are the destiny, you, know, you can make your destiny. You can do whatever you want. You can achieve. The world says you are enough. You are all sufficient. But when you come to Bible, we know God is all sufficient, not me. God, have your way in my life. It's not about me. Till that's the only time when we learn to relax. 
Otherwise, we'll become anxious. We will become worried. You know, the greatest thing, we can give God money. We can God give our time. We can even use our talents for the ministry glorifying God. You know the greatest difficulty in life? To give yourself to God. Have you thought about it? That to give complete control to God, that is the greatest challenge for all of us. We still want to control our lives. We still want to rule over our lives. We, why do we worry, first of all? Because we tell God, God, life is supposed to be like this. You don't know how to run, manage my life. If you had given me power, I would have managed it better. That's why we worry. That's why we are not able to relax. I have not given myself. What will happen if this fails? So what? If it fails, fails. I am not God. I am only a human being. You know, we want to have everything perfect in life. This is a broken world. You are not God. I am not God. It will break. Because we want to show outside people how perfect I am. You will never be able to relax if you have not given full control over your life. Things will break. Health will break, relationships will break, finances will break, job will break, children will fail. Everything, you know, it will happen. It's painful. It's painful. But you will be able to relax once you realize, I am not in charge. Who is in charge? Jesus, the shepherd king is in charge. Having said that, if you are waiting on the Lord means you expect. You know, you have this great king as your God. We just read, no? He is coming from heaven. Everything is under his power. So you should have high expectations. You should make bold Petitions, big petitions. Now that's a different thing. You ask petitions for what? To make yourself feel good or it's to glorify God? That's a different thing. That'll, you know, that comes in prayer. We'll come to that differently. But our expectation should be high. You know, John Newton, he said, uh, beautifully he said, John Newton, thou art, uh, Russian, can you Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his love and power are such, none can ever ask too much. You need to give control of your life to God. It doesn't mean that you sit dumb, you sit idle, but you come with large petitions. Okay, that's the meaning of the word. Wait, those who wait upon the Lord. Now you understand, wait upon the Lord is not sitting on the chair and saying, I'm waiting on the Lord. Wait means obey, relax, expect. Okay, next, walk. Walk daily with God. You know, if you have seen that verse,
is it not very, in, I don't know how many of us have noticed that, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Do you find something strange in this verse? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. That is like they'll soar like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is there something strange in this verse? Don't you think something is reversed in this place? What happens? How does a plane take off? Plane will just come to the runway and then it picks up speed and then it picks up speed and then it flies. Okay, here it says it flies, then it comes down, and then it goes, moves into the runway. Is it not a reverse? They will soar on wings like eagles. You know, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, in, in, our, in our life, we will not soar on wings all the time. Let this be very clear, in Christian life, you don't soar on wings all the time. And most of the time, you are not able to run. But one thing you can do is to always walk with the Lord. If you walk with the Lord, he will enable you to run. If you walk with the Lord, he will enable you to soar on wings. It may come. Experiences may come from time to time. You may soar on wings, but you will never remain always flying. Okay, we are all human beings, broken world, broken things. So what we have to learn is to walk with God daily. If you know Jesus as the shepherd king, it's a privilege to wait on him and also to walk with him. Is this your Jesus? If you know Jesus as the shepherd king, what a great privilege it's for us to just wait on him, just to relax in him, just to make big petitions and to walk with him daily. Shall we all bow our heads and look to God this morning? Jesus, the shepherd, king if if you have heard God telling you comfort comfort my people this, this morning if God were to say that come closer to me come closer to me do you know your God the shepherd king the shepherd king, will you invite him into your hearts and say, God, be king over my life, king over every aspect of my life, be king over my life, O oh Lord. You write my history, whatever you have in store for me, I yield myself to you. I submit myself to you. You write my history, O oh Lord. You write my story.
because you are my savior, you are my God. Let Jesus always be your shepherd.